0: Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you first to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. My text today is the book of Acts. Now, I don't have time to read it all before I preach. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then three verses from chapter 28. So you might get your finger in chapter 28. So, hear now the Word of God. Verse 1, chapter 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. By many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And in chapter 28, verse 16, and verses 30 and 31. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Verse 30, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him preaching the kingdom of god and teaching concerning the lord jesus christ with all openness unhindered now I hope you'll keep your bible in your lap you will need it you may have been able to follow the reading on the screen on the wall but now you need the bible you need it in your lap we're going to take a flying cruise to the Book of Acts. One of the television channels has a program called something like "America Aerial America, uh, something like that. And it take a state by state and take a, uh, a survey, take a view uh, from the air, but in depth, of those states. We're going to do that today with the book of Acts. It will be uh, our joy to do that. And so you will need to be following in your Bible and uh, hearing the pages turn. In chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus makes two statements of facts. We begin here. Two statements of facts. Often Acts 1:8 is taken as a commission, but there is not an imperative here. The imperative; of these statements are indicative statements or statements of fact. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. First. Secondly, you shall be my witnesses. It's fact. Two facts: you will receive power; you will be my witnesses you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world that's fact he's making that a statement and then in Acts 28 verse 31 this book ends the last word in the book of Acts you have it translated as unhindered an adjective but the Greek word is actually an adverb unhinderedly and so that is the name of my sermon today unhinderedly and that word describes or modifies the preaching and the teaching that Paul is doing as it is described in verse 31 preaching the kingdom of God unhinderedly and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ unhinderedly so We have in one generation, from Jesus' ascension, which we have here in the first part of the book of Acts, until now, in about AD 62, the Apostle Paul is in Rome, in a room of his own rental, a prisoner, to be sure, chained to a Roman soldier, to be sure preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel unhinderedly. And what's happened in between this book of Acts is the struggle, the record of the struggle for an unhindered gospel, a gospel without borders, a gospel without barriers. From the prayer room in Jerusalem to the prisoner's room in Rome, Turn that into the proclamation room in Rome because that's what Paul does with whatever circumstances he has. The theme of today's message is that these statements filled with power you shall be my witness throughout the world beginning here, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world preaching and teaching unhinderedly But that will not only be a record of history, but that will be the record of Hamilton Baptist Church. That's where we are today. Think about yourself individually. Think about our church as a body corporately. Look at yourselves. Look at us. God has so blessed us. You look pretty good, don't you? (laughs) Good looking people. At ease. That's not so good looking. You've got it made. That's good in a sense, not good in a sense. Depends on what you do with, how you've been blessed. Look at the world around us. Lost, struggling, floundering, going down. You have what they need. And we are cloistered to a large extent in the barracks. And the army needs to be on the battlefield. I find in our church, we have, I believe, a reignited, perhaps a newly ignited, interest in missions. That's shown in our giving to the Lottie Moon Offering. Uh, somewhere in the range of $40,000. I don't know the exact number at this point. That is absolutely awesome. And I give God and him the praise and the glory for that. Don't you? Amen. Go ahead and do it. Amen. Right on. Uh, it's praise to the Lord. And I believe that God wants you not only to have that renewed interest in giving, but in praying and in actually getting hands-on in mission ways. That's what comes of a heart for missions. There is to be, I believe, I believe that we are on the cusp of a great advance in missions in our church and in our involvement in missions. And as you think about yourself, and as you think about us as a body of God's people, as a church, think large. Think outside the box. Think outside of the restraints that we have been experiencing or that you have individually been experiencing. So let's look at this struggle for an unhindered gospel. Back in chapter 1, verse 1, in the early part, the beginning, first of all. Our record begins with 120 disciples of Jesus Gathered in Jerusalem, they are marked by four things. They are marked by obedience. Verse 12 of chapter 1, they return to Jerusalem. Jesus said, told them, stay into Jerusalem until you're filled with the Holy Spirit, till you receive the promise. They are obedient. For the most part, they're from Galilee after their leader is Killed, it's natural for them to get out of there and go back to Galilee, go back home. But they stay put. They obey Jesus. They're obedient. They are in unity. Look at verse 14. They are of one mind. They are continually devoting themselves to prayer. That's the third characteristic of this group of people. Obedient, in unity, continually devoting themselves to prayer. There is a week between the ascension of Jesus, his giving of that great commission, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, a week. And they spend that week together here in this upper room, and they are in prayer. Now, I don't think they spent seven hours, seven days a week, 24 hours a day in prayer. The record tells us they did some other things. But they're in prayer. They're spending serious time in prayer. Those three things. And then the fourth thing happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. Chapter 2 of the book of Acts tells us about that. And everything changed. Nothing was the same from that point on. And I want you to observe that when you trusted Christ as Savior, you were given that gift of the Holy Spirit. And everything in your life has changed because of that you may not realize it you may not be taking advantage of it you may not be using that gift but everything has changed no longer the same as it was before that and the struggle is underway for an unhindered gospel for that gospel to go from that little room pretty good sized room perhaps of 120 people in it but from that room in Jerusalem to that place in the capital of the Roman Empire where this man of God is teaching and preaching the gospel unhinderedly. They had some barriers and all through the book of Acts we see those barriers and if you will turn and follow these in your Bibles it will be good for you. They had First of all, they had fear and weakness. And you could compare. Go back to John chapter 20. Turn two pages, one or two pages back uh, to John 20, verse 19. Uh, this is resurrection day. First day of, of his resurrection. They're gathered there. Verse 19. It was evening on that day, the first day of the week. And when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... That's their condition at that point. Locked doors. Fear. And by the time uh, they get to Rome, that fear is removed. Now there is boldness. Look at chapter 4, verse 19 and verse 20. After uh, the, the pouring out of the Spirit, this uh, we find uh, Peter and John, have, uh, they have been arrested. And now they're saying to the Sanhedrin who have threatened them to not speak anymore in this name. In verse 19, they answer and say to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Remember Peter, he, he denied Jesus on that night before his crucifixion. Now he's standing up. Verse 20, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. There were barriers of language. These people spoke Hebrew. The gospel was given among Hebrew people. Thus, that language barrier was overcome on the day of Pentecost. There was a miracle of languages on that day. We'll talk about that some more. There were barriers of geography. It's a long way from Jerusalem to Rome. Even if you have a donkey to ride on or a ship to travel on, through storms that sink the ship. It's a long way. There's barriers of geography. And those barriers were overcome. We'll look at those. If you look in chapter 2, we see that there were... um, Let me find it myself. Um, They were amazed at what was being done, at these who were speaking to them, And they name in verse 7, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How come we hear them all speaking in our language? And then they start naming who they are. Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, and so on. Fourteen regions of the Roman Empire are there in Jerusalem. Hearing the gospel in their own language. They are there from all over the Roman Empire. Three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe are there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And people are not only hearing the Gospel, but they are being saved. And Some of them are from Rome and they're going back to Rome. We have no record in the book of Acts or elsewhere in the Bible of some Apostle going to Rome to establish a church. Paul didn't establish it. Peter didn't establish it. It was there before they got there. And here's the clue, at least, to how it got there. These who were saved from Rome on the day of Pentecost went back to Rome and planted the church at Rome. The fourth barrier that I see is that they were forget, forbidden to preach in Jesus' name in Jerusalem. Chapter 4, verse 18. But Paul, or Peter and John say, we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And in verse 29, their prayer was for boldness and for confidence. One of the barriers to the spread of the gospel, as in many churches, was internal problems. And so we find Ananias and Sapphira rise up and pretend to be giving more than they are giving That barrier is overcome. They simply die. They drop dead. They're buried. They're out of here. That barrier is overcome. Internal problems. Another problem arises. There is a distribution of food for the widows. But those Jewish Christian widows who were of Hellenistic culture, Greekish culture, felt like they were being discriminated against as compared to those of Judaistic background and culture and so there was a problem a fellowship problem an issue in the church and you find it in chapter 6 these internal problems and the resolution of that came by the apostle saying get us some deacons and they raised some deacons the congregation chose some deacons seven men Filled with the spirits, godly men of good reputation. And they took care of the widows. But I want you to understand. It wasn't just the deal of serving tables. These men were healing a fellowship rift in the church. That's what deacons do. That's what that's about. It's caring for the spiritual lives and the well-being of the health of the people in the church and thus of the church and that was a barrier to the spread of the gospel and then there was persecution by imprisonment and death one of the deacons a man named Stephen was so powerful in his teaching and preaching that they couldn't stand up to him so they killed him they stoned him chapter 7 verse 54 and following uh, they stoned him and chapter 8 says On that day, verse 1, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. The they does not refer to the apostles, because it was except the apostles. Now, on the one hand, the apostles stay put in Jerusalem where it's dangerous. Give them credit, they stay put. With all many others scattered, and they went throughout the Roman Empire, and we find pretty soon some of them are speaking the gospel to Gentiles, and not just to Jews. And so the gospel is spread. The Christians are scattered, chapter eight, verse one. But with them, scattered the gospel. There's a lesson there. We should learn that lesson. Persecution. So those in verse four, those who had been scattered, went about preaching the word. Another barrier was racial prejudice and religious prejudice. About the last person that a good Jew wanted to witness to was a Samaritan. And bless his heart, one of these good deacons went to Samaria and started sharing the gospel with them. And they started believing. And being saved. Deacon Philip takes the gospel to the Samaritans, chapter eight, verse five. And the apostles are still in Jerusalem, and they say, We have to check up on this. And so they send a committee. I didn't do this also another time that's recorded, maybe other times, but I'll give them credit. They send a good committee. And here they send, I believe it's Peter and John, to Samaria. And they find what the Lord is doing. They confirm it. And great revival breaks out in that place. And a great many are being saved. And then God takes Philip up out of there. When everything is going good, Philip would say, here I'm being used greatly by God in Samaria. God says, fine, let that go on. I want you over here. And he places him over in the wilderness of the Gaza area. Where there is an Ethiopian traveling along in his chariot. And Philip comes along and the angel, the Lord says to him, go hitch a ride on that chariot. So he puts out his thumb, hitches a ride. And he finds the man from Ethiopia is a high powered man, man of authority. The treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. And he's reading the Old Testament. He's reading Isaiah. He's been to Jerusalem and things in Jerusalem have been in an uproar been things going on and he's trying to figure it out from the scripture Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? he says, how can I? unless somebody would guide me, he says, I can do that and he shares the gospel with him the gospel now goes to Ethiopia earlier there were Cyrenians, North Africans on the day of Pentecost Deeper into Africa, Ethiopia. Philip is used of God. Now watch Philip. The Lord takes him to Caesarea. Remember that. Philip now goes to Caesarea. The Roman capital of that province. That area for Palestine. For the Jews. I find it interesting that the Christians began to have trouble when the gospel went to Gentiles. From the beginning, from God's commissioning of Abraham to be his man, to be his point man generationally, God said to Abraham and to all those generations of his that followed him in you all the families of the earth will be blessed and God repeated that to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and it was given down through this was the heritage of the Jewish people they understood it they should have understood it but now they're being selfish with the gospel and not understanding that it is to go to all the families of the earth even in the New Testament this was an issue not just in the Old Testament so this Gentile barrier uh, is rising up Philip to the Ethiopian now Peter Peter is at Joppa a city south of Caesarea on the coast Both are on the coast, the Mediterranean coast. But God goes to to Peter. He wants to touch the life of a Roman centurion in Caesarea. He's got a good man there, Philip. Philip knows how to witness to Gentiles. He just did it with the Ethiopians. He just took it to the Samaritans. Why not call on Philip? But he calls on Peter who's not even in Caesarea. He's in Joppa. And he wants to get Peter thinking right. It takes a little bit, but he does. It gives Peter a vision of sheep being let down and unclean food in it. So take and eat. No, no, I don't eat that stuff. Take and eat. No, no, I don't eat that stuff. What I've called, what I've cleansed, you don't call unclean. In other words, go get it. But that time, somebody knocking on the gate. There are these servants from Caesarea, Roman soldiers, and servants of the centurion. No kidding, they come for me. <laughs> he knows about Roman soldiers. Don't worry about it, go with them. And he does. It's an overnight trip up to Jerusalem, or to Samaria, and he makes the trip. He comes to the home of Cornelius. Cornelius. Good Jews don't go in Gentiles' homes. Barrier. It goes in. But Peter took with him, I believe it was six men, six other Jewish Christians from Joppa with him. They also went with him. He had good witnesses to what was going on. And God fell on those people and they were saved that day born again Gentiles a Roman centurion and others later word comes to the church at Jerusalem this time they don't send a committee they call them on the carpet come up here and explain this to us and Peter does and they said well if God doing this we surely can't argue with God barrier falls barrier falls and the gospel goes and so as they are scattered from the persecution we find that men of Cyrene in North Africa and of Cyprus out in the Mediterranean uh, by the way that's where Barnabas was from they go to Antioch in Syria and begin to preach the gospel to Gentiles chapter 11 verse 29 and the church and they begin to be saved and the church of Jerusalem sends a committee a good committee Barnabas committee of one good committee Some of the best committees I've ever been on have been committees of one. You get no argument that way. You don't have to compromise that way. You don't have to rationalize anything. Well, they sent Barnabas. Barnabas said, I need help. God's at work here. I need need another good man. He had already brought Paul, the persecutor, Saul, the persecutor in to the inside circle. But now he's going over to Tarsus, where he is, to get him to come and help him. And they labor in Antioch of Syria a couple of years. And this church at Antioch becomes the great missionary base for the Roman Empire for that day. Another barrier falls. We find that other barriers are pagan barriers. There's resistance to the gospel. Satan doesn't. Sit down, and say, go ahead. He fights back. And so in Ethiopia, I'm sorry, in Ephesus, they both begin with E. <laughs> in Ephesus. Paul had a ministry there of three years. And he had great opposition from those who were worshippers of the goddess Diana or Artemis, Greek and Roman names. And it was getting cutting into their pocketbook because they made silver shrines silver statuettes of the, go, of the goddess and a, a great opposition we find in uh, Philippi there was opposition from the pagans uh, to Paul and the spread of the gospel but we find also that uh, hardcore Jewish people uh, opposed the gospel not just Jewish Christians some of them opposed the gospel going to Gentiles Uh, and they wanted them to be become judaist first join the judaist religion first so there were pagan barriers at philippi and at ephesus and at athens and we know from elsewhere at corinth although that doesn't show up too much in the book of acts one other barrier there were theological barriers theological barrier among the christians Begun as Jewish Christians. They had their roots in the Jewish faith. They had their roots in Moses. Now they're believing, and they're, some of them are wanting to believe, that you cannot become a truly born again Christian unless you first become a Jew and join the Jewish religion to become a Christian. And so circumcision. For the Jews, we would call it a sacrament. A thing that is a religious work that is done to bring you in to a right relationship with God. A sacrament, by that definition. So there was a struggle in the church, in that empire, in that first century. As to whether the gospel was going to have to be subject to doing a sacrament. Some kind of a ritualistic religious thing first. Here's the essence, is salvation by grace and faith or is it by becoming a Jew first and keeping the law? That's the issue. And in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, theologically that issue was settled. The great conference that took place in Jerusalem. And Paul's ministry all over the Roman Empire uh, carried that out uh, to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. What barriers hinder you from spreading the gospel near and far? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. What, what are your barriers? We could speak of barriers overseas to the gospel and our missionaries and Christians, native Christians, all over the world run into those barriers. And there are great persecutions happening today. Today all over the world to be barriers to the gospel to the point of killing the messengers. Yes, we could speak of barriers in other parts of the world. But I'm not preaching to other parts of the world this morning. We're talking here. Let's be relevant. What are the barriers in our lives? Got a week to talk about it? (laughs) Let me name several. And I believe you will agree with me. Complacency. Look at us. Fear. We don't share the gospel because we're more interested in protecting our comfort zones. We are unprepared. Unpreparedness is a barrier. We're not equipped to do it. You can make that excuse. You can make it for about a month maybe, but then you have no excuse. You must get ready if that's the barrier. Get over it. One barrier that I think has some validity is that we do not have access to the handles to do it. And by that, I mean to get connected in mission uh, near or far to actually do the mission work of spreading the gospel. Somebody else has the handles that we need to get a hold of and we need to be helped by them to get to that another barrier simple disobedience simple disobedience Wednesday night I was talking just chatting briefly with Pastor Steve as uh, before we left to go home that night um, about this very thing I said to him What barriers do we have and he thought a minute and he said lack of power that's not one that I had and you don't see it on the screen but I certainly agree and there are others lack of power but we have it it's available to us all of those first ones those first five that I mentioned were overcome in that first generation by the power of the Holy Spirit together with the availability of the Christians the obedience the surrender the commitment the sacrifice of God's people and in one generation it moved from that hideout in Jerusalem to that upper room of proclamation in Rome. I want you to think with me and look at your Bible of the victories, of the barriers. The book of Acts is the record of the victorious struggle for an unhindered gospel. A gospel without barriers and without borders. first of all following the day on the day of pentecost and following peter's sermon chapter 2 verse 41 look at the victories so then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about 3000 souls and in verse 47 last part of the verse and the lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved look at chapter four verse four following the jailing of Peter and John they had healed a lame man in the temple and great crowds had come around and they had been teaching them in the temple and had been called on the carpet of the Sanhedrin for that verse four and it preached a sermon and many of those who had heard the message uh, Verse 4. Many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Another barrier fell. And that is Ananias and Sapphira. That internal problem. That internal barrier. God slapped them down. They dropped dead. Chapter 5 verse 14. Following the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira and all the more believers in the Lord multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number turn the page chapter 6 following the healing of the disruption or uh, of the fellowship regarding the feeding and the care of the widows in verse 7 of chapter 6 The deacons did good work. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Look at chapter 8, verse 12. The Samaritans, one of the deacons, took the gospel there. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the Kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Perhaps there are people in this room who have not yet become followers of Jesus Christ, not yet born again. The Gospel is here. The power of God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. You have the opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and become a follower of Jesus and allow him to transform your life by being born again and following him and following this message today I'll meet you here and we'll have elders at the doors and if you would be interested in that if you would turn to him speak to one of them in fact right now elders wherever you are elders stand up will you stand up wherever the elders are I see Am I overlooking? Some may be in the prayer room. Thank you. Find them or me, and we can talk about it. That's where we go. Uh, That's what it's about. Look at uh, the next barrier that fell uh, as you turn the pages. Go to chapter 9, verse 31. Uh, Following the persecution uh, that arose, or in the persecution that arose, uh, because of uh, the persecution of Philip and the persecution that followed. that One of the persecutors named Saul of Tarsus is saved. He, we know him as Paul. He saved and he ceases the persecution and he spreads the good news. Look at verse 31 of chapter 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, spirit it continued to increase look at chapter 11 verse 21 the persecuted Christian take the gospel to Antioch barriers fall geography getting beyond just Jewish Christians to the Gentiles and the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord um, in chapter 12 verse 24 uh, Herod Agrippa I grandson of Herod the Great who had killed the boy babies in Bethlehem now this man uh, he, he, he dies he had killed James by the way the Apostle James the first of the Apostles uh, to be killed to die in verse 24 following that the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied and, and so it went Uh, look at chapter 16 verse 5 Uh, Paul had gone on his second mission was going on his second missionary trip throughout what we now call Turkey Asia Minor and he's strengthening the churches and confirming them and helping them grow establishing leaders uh, that he and Barnabas had established on their first missionary trip and so in verse 5 so the churches We're being strengthened in the faith. And we're increasing in number daily. In chapter 19, verse 10, um, Paul had a ministry at Ephesus. It went on for two years, then another year, a total of three years. But uh, at the point of two years, this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greek and look at verse 20 so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing and because that was true Ephesus became that that landmark church that uh, lighthouse church that capital church for spreading the gospel through Asia and there were churches planted throughout by Asia I mean the Roman province of Asia Throughout Turkey, today we call it, throughout that region, you read about some of them, seven of them, in the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Asia. But there were more than seven that were there. And then finally, if you go to chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, Paul is imprisoned prison at Rome. Now, if that had been me in jail, I'd have probably said, well, I'm done for. That's not Paul. He said, man, it's an opportunity. <laughs> In fact, I kind of think that Paul appealed to Caesar so he'd get a, a ship ride to Rome. <laughs> he didn't have to ride a donkey. Rome provided him passage on, I think, about three ships to get him there. and finally got to Rome uh, at, uh, at the expense of the Roman Empire. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhinderedly. You know, in Galatians four four, the apostle wrote to the apostle Paul wrote to the church, the churches in Galatia part, a region of that Roman province of Asia, Turkey. And he said in verse 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son. And you think of the time that Jesus was born. God calls it the fullness of the time. It was a time that was ripe. It was a time that was prepared for the Messiah. A time that was prepared for the Gospel. Think about it just a bit. That part of the civilized world was under one government, Rome. Because of that there was law and order throughout that empire into which Messiah came. Rome enforced a peace the Pax Romana was a peace a heavy-handed peace to be sure militarily enforced to be sure you don't cross it to be sure but a peace established throughout the Roman Empire into that the gospel came it was a culture not only which Rome ruled but in which there was a language that was known all over now many spoke Latin but the Greek language was common throughout the empire and in fact the New Testament was written in that language not in classical Greek but in the common man's Greek we called it Koine Greek the common man's Greek so it would spread 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 in the fullness of times of the time God sent forth his son it was a time in which one could travel he didn't have to have a passport. <laughs> he didn't have to worry about getting his visa. He didn't have to worry about customs. He didn't have to worry about border crossings. He could travel freely throughout the Roman Empire. And they did. And the gospel moved throughout the Roman Empire. It was a very opportune time. The fullness of the time. God sent forth his son. It was a very opportune time. I suggest to you that we live in a very opportune time as individuals and as a church we live in such a time we live in a time when we can see because of technology because of language because of ability to travel throughout the world tomorrow afternoon you can be in the other side of the earth, travel-wise. Many of you have done it. I've done it. It's available to us. We live in such opportune times. We live in opportune times that are so opportune we can see this land filled with the glory of God. We live in such a time that we can join God as they did in what He's doing. And flooding the nations with grace and glory of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. In our time with the technology we have, the travel we have, we can be missionaries. We can spread the gospel even going to putting boots on the ground in far places in the states, near places in the states and globally in this world. We can be missionaries we live in a time, let me tell you something, in my younger years, now I know dinosaurs were rooming, roaming, some of them were rooming, <laughs> roaming, I know, but in my lifetime, missionaries were not allowed to come back from the field until they had been there their full four years. Today they can come back for a sister's wedding, as my children have done. We can move. We can travel. We live in a time when as a church we can be a mission agency ourselves. We live in such a time. I will say this. It will require sacrifice. I remember preaching a sermon one time and a visitor in the church, after church, was we chatting and he was talking about this army Pastor, the man came and talked to me and he said, Pastor, I said, yeah. He says, You're asking them to sacrifice. I said, yeah. <laughs> so what else is new? Isn't that it? What is unusual about being asked to sacrifice? Jesus did it for you. That's how the gospel moved from Jerusalem to Rome. That's what happens. And you find when you do it that it's no sacrifice at all. Not at all. Here's my challenge. Personally, take it personal. To engage, engage in missions. Near, that's called sharing the gospel. And far, that's called sharing the gospel over there, over yonder, near and far. By praying, my challenge to you is to make missions in your life a real palpable prayer issue not a PS central by giving and by getting your boots on the ground near and or far finally my challenge to respond to the gospel you're not yet a follower of Jesus why not now why not now I'll meet you here. Elders are available. Some will be at the doors. Will you join me in prayer? Mighty God, we are the beneficiaries of what we have read about, we've been talking about. It's come to us. We have in our lives the treasures of the gospel. And there are people dying without it all around us and all over the world. I pray your spirit to fall on us, to change us, fill us with your spirit, use us for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.